When it comes to sex, let's be honest. We all have questions. Am I doing it right? Is it supposed to feel this way? Why don't I care about sex? And the big one, what is normal sex? Trust me, these are legit questions. So I found Dr. Jenny Schuyler, sex therapist extraordinaire, to answer the questions we always wanted to ask but didn't. And she has some questions too, good ones. I'm Kim Kaplan, and this is the Modern Pleasure Podcast. One of the things I want patients to walk out of that first visit knowing is there is not a pain track in our body. There is not a signal in your pelvic floor that says pain. There's no susceptive tracks. So you have experiences, whether they're emotional or psychosocial or physical, those experiences create a, a communication system that talks to us. And then our spine sends those messages up and then our brain makes a decision, is there pain? Dr. Jenny, how are you? Hi, Kim. I'm great. How are you? How was camping? I'm good. Camping was good. Yeah, it was a, a much needed respite from, you know, the world of, of digital and interruptions and actually had a good time. Usually when we go on these trips, George and I always have a cabin. The rest of the family, my parents, they have a trailer that, that sits up there all summer. But um, usually the rest of the family, they all camp below uh, or, or actually, I should say, above in this beautiful meadow stream running through it. It's gorgeous, but my husband's not a big camper. So we like to get a cabin. And typically, it's just so busy, and we're always, you know, um, having to be walk-up camp for dinner or breakfast or do this or that, or, you know, nobody got a good night's sleep the night before because the beds are horrible. And this year, we actually had your favorite lazy sex in the cabin i was like oh, yeah good. so um good. so a plus lazy sex like mutual masturbation or just lazy uh yeah yeah mutual that's what we did oh i'm like i'm like wait a minute think about what do we do now oh yeah that was that it was the mutual masturbation <laughs> You're, the lazy sex <laughs> the lazy sex lazy and relaxed lazy and house. relaxed it was really nice so um yes. So, you know, and my husband was saying, gosh, I really had a good time on the camping trip this year. I'm like, yeah, I wonder why. (laughs) So anyway, it was a good trip all the way around. Had to come back to it today, though. And so, of course, I'm juggling like, uh, you know, usual, but that's quite all right. So, um, you know, when you brought up this guest that we're going to have on today, because I know that you had hurt yourself, and, and now I realize that I don't think there's any correlation between you injuring, what was it, your arm or your shoulder or something? Oh, this has no correlation to my arm. That's Well, I figured I, that yes. out. <laughs> but when you said PT, I'm like, physical therapist? And how does, yeah, that, so- how does that work with our, with our conversations? <laughs> well, our next guest is a friend, a colleague, and just a badass. Um, and she is Dr. Holly New Year, and I'm going to tell you about her, and then I'm going to tell you how I know her. So she is the owner of N2 Physical Therapy, and that was originally a small place in Louisville, and she grew this to be a huge enterprise all over Colorado. She received a doctorate in physical therapy from Duke University Medical Center well. in 2009. 
Yes, and completed her master's in business administration from the University of Colorado and a bachelor of science in biology and minor in psychology from University of Nebraska at Omaha. Quite educated. Yeah. Um, so she, she is the founder and owner of CSU Practice, which is focused on leadership training, business consulting, expanded clinical practice to include health education and life coaching and professional education for groups and individuals. And when she has free time, which is not really that much, um, she enjoys teaching, mentoring, community education, and guest lecturing. She, um, she coordinates monthly education for prostate cancer patients and male pelvic pain patients in the community. And she also fosters doggies, very oh, large doggies. I love that. Um, yeah. And I know Holly because... Gosh, I'm trying to think which came first. If we shared patients or if I was your patient first when I was pregnant and I had my own pelvic floor pain and needed to see you because in my pregnancy, I got pelvic floor pain. I think it was very close together, but I think we met and started sharing patients. And then shortly after you came, were my patient. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, I remember. And what's so great about this too, Kim, because you might, your jaw might be on the floor like, what? Um, I brought my husband to Holly with me so that she could show him all the exercises because the exercises for the pelvic floor are manual, a lot of them. And it was really helpful for my husband to learn the exercises. So then when we would go home, he could actually do the exercises on me. And we did before we would have intercourse. He would all do all the pelvic floor PT exercises on me. I'd be relaxed and, and you know, my vagina would be less contracted. And then we'd continue with our sexual play. So I forever now send people to and to physical therapy in Holly. And I think it's an essential part of working in collaboration with different practitioners, especially when it's coordinated care for pelvic pain. So, so welcome, Holly. Yeah, that, that was a that was a great introduction. So uh, this was this is probably the first time I've ever heard that term, pelvic floor pain. So I'm sitting here trying to think of how how do you um, explain what that is or how to, how how that feels and how do you know you've ever experienced that? Because I'm thinking I may have, but I'm not quite sure what that was. That's a fantastic question. And one of my favorite things about being a pelvic health physical therapist that specializes this is that everybody's sensation and experience of that pain is different. And we do see kind of labels come in, you know, vulvodynia, which means burning at the vulva, vestibulodynia, the closer and at the vestibule, dyspareunia, which means pain with penetration. And what it all comes down to is Sex is not feeling good. Um, sometimes patients do need some prompting on, oh, what is normal and what isn't? And it, it's, it could be a stinging. It could be burning. Um, it could be something more like vaginismus where the muscles really guard and contract and it like basically prevents penetration or makes it feel like it's tearing or ripping. And even as I say these words, we're trying very hard when we work with patients not to use this language, but this is what people describe. And, you know, research really supports how prevalent pelvic pain is at one point in a woman's life. I think we need to be talking about it more. Jenny and I have always connected on that belief, but 
It can also be groin pain. It can be bladder urgency, um, bladder stabbing sensations, uh, pain in sitting, saddle-like discomfort. It comes in so many forms and the pelvic floor muscle is so complex and how it interacts with the body that each, each person sort of has their own experience with it. Did that answer your question properly? No, for sure. I guess what, so the bigger question is, is how, I mean, because I've heard of all of these different types of pains or feelings and, you know, you go to a gynecologist and there's usually things that they can do. How does a physical therapist, which that is what you, what your practice is, is physical therapy, correct? So Mm -hmm. how, how does a physical therapist help manage this type of pain? Yeah, absolutely. So on a grand scale, we're going to look at the entire body and we're going to ask questions about everything that the pelvic floor and especially the pudendal nerve and other nerves of the pelvic floor interact with. But aside from that, more specifically for your podcast, we look at the pelvic floor muscle. So people come to us and it is a little bit more of a gynecological experience. And we will have people practice um talking about the muscle, practice identifying the different muscles of the pelvic floor. And then we approach it, like Jenny said, very hands-on, very manually. So this approach towards PT, you you talk to the patient, you definitely get consent, you build your trust with them, and then you actually manually assess those muscles externally and internally to feel what's going on, um, sort of see if there are trigger points, any nerve compressions, and much more than that. I'm trying to explain it for you is, a no, big picture I, I, but it is a more intimate environment. So you do assess it very directly like that. And then on other pieces of it, you want to look at how that muscle is interacting with the low back, uh, how it, it, how it moves, how it has like experiences with intra-abdominal pressure and sort of using Jenny as an example during your pregnancy, the woman's body goes through such rapid changes that sometimes and if is this okay that i'm sharing this oh please that's fine that's great in your case the low back and the hips were like oh my god forget this i'm going on vacation and her pelvic floor had to come in and overwork and got so incredibly tight so for jenny we started at the pelvic floor but it eventually proper pelvic health includes the rest of the body so now is this common practice this is the first time i've never ever heard and or thought that at physical therapy sessions or appointments or even management was exi- that it even existed. So I, my mind is blown right now. I'm like, wow, what? Yes, <laughs> I, had no I like idea. to surprise Kim with guests, and she's like, "What are we doing? <laughs> what is this?" And Kim, you're not alone actually in that question because when I share with some of my clients, this exists. If they didn't otherwise know, their mind is blown. But oftentimes it's the other way around. They go to PT first and then through PT, they come to me. But it, it goes in both directions. But Interesting. Holly, yeah. yeah. The key with it is the collaboration. That's a really important piece, I believe. But it, it really depends on where you are. Uh, I sought out my doctor at Duke University because there was a woman there teaching there, Dr. Carol Figures, who in still in this day, I think is one of the most inspiring public health therapists. So I sought that out. I went there. It was widely known there. I just spent a week in rural Nebraska where I grew up and I still don't think some of my family members are hearing me when I say what I do. So there <laughs> it's not well known at all. And, and um, I think one woman at a happy hour is like, wow, vagina just rolls right off your tongue. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you know, and Denver is a really special place to be. I love how many very talented pelvic health PTs we have here. We've had a lot come in and move on from N2 into their own practices. And so I would say it is really well known here. It just it just depends. And I know Jenny and I are both on our own professional missions of increasing awareness, uh, but it, it it really isn't in some demographics ever heard of. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. So in your Jen- demographic, Kim, you're, you sounds like you never knew about this. <laughs> no, yeah. I didn't. I, I can't wait yeah. to find out if if more people who are listening to this, including a lot of my family members, you know, the women in my family, I'm going to be like really surprised to hear them say, oh, yeah, I knew about that because I'm pretty sure that they don't. And my mom is a nurse. And then I, and I also have a cousin who's a nurse and she, both of them labor and delivery. So maybe maybe they do. Mom, Rachel. You in? You if in on this? If your pain is not significant enough that you're going to Google search this, then you, it might not come into might your not come into general it. awareness. So, right? I, I'm gonna. To, I'm to, I'm totally hijacking your guest, Jenny, because I have so many questions. Um, I'll, I'll jump into. <laughs> I know she, she will. I'll 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 stop talking in a minute. Um. So I, I get where it would definitely come in handy. It, for a woman who is pregnant because of all the pressure on that pelvic floor and, and some of the things that have happened. I, now that I think about it, I'm like, wow, I wish I would have known because there was a lot of um, discomfort in my latter um, part of my pregnancy as well. But I'm wondering, what is the demographic that you most commonly see or is there even such a thing? Yes, uh I think that you can see this at nearly any age. And I, I've had patients come to me who have had these issues in one version or another since in their mind, they were a little baby. And one of the most recent examples of that is someone who had persistent genital arousal disorder, which is a version of pelvic tightness, pelvic pain, pelvic discomfort. And she recalls being in like kindergarten and teachers were wondering why she was feeling down there and pressing down there. So this, this can come in at any age and any demographic, and it can come in for multiple reasons. Yes, pregnancy, postpartum. Um, I like to use terms like the fourth trimester now and functional postpartum because everybody's postpartum period is different. It really shouldn't be given an end date. It can come in in that, but I have pelvic pain patients where it does develop from things like I just mentioned, from being a child and having maybe a genital issue. Um, It can come from psychosocial aspects or trauma. I've had people who have chronic constipation and develop pain with sex. I have, I grew up on a farm. I can share some of mine. I've landed on a saddle wrong showing horses and that can lead to pain. Um, Another one. I'm raising my hand on that one too. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little farm girl. So I've got a lot of those stories. Um, Another example is uh, we've had patients who get like an STD, like chlamydia that doesn't get properly managed. Um, The pudendal nerve, that is one of the main nerves that innervates sensation and research is showing an aspect of motor control as well as a really special nerve. It is a mixed nerve, which means it gets sympathetic and parasympathetic input. And this is where the pelvic floor and the pelvic pain situation becomes really complex. So what that means is you say, say an example, it sounds like Kim, you have landed on a saddle wrong. Say we do that. Nobody can really help us with how badly that hurts. And so we already have the physical insult, the physical injury. And this is so many of our patients, right? Jenny, you go to one doctor and they're like, oh, it's nothing. It'll heal. It doesn't. You go to another doctor. Oh, it's nothing. It'll heal. 
what happens then is our autonomics become sympathetically driven and the stress of it further perpetuates the situation. And then that starts speaking to our brain, which decides, oh, there's this big problem here that's now been here for six months. And then our brain gets involved. And this is such an intimate area. It's so interconnected with reproductive processes, bowel, bladder, all of it that it can actually perpetuate itself into a massive pain problem. And I know Jenny's had a lot of patients like that as well. So it, it's complex. It's every demographic. We have um, people who are in their 70s still wanting to be sexually active, but treatment of breast cancer with like, um, whether it was a, a hormone like a tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor that has created a vulvar pain situation, or they had four children and somebody finally told them, hey, you can go to pelvic health therapist. So we really have every every demographic experiencing this that's really interesting and, and so young people too super young in their 20s super young super sometimes mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know you were mentioning any kind of trauma or accident so you know i'm thinking now back to when i was in my 20s i used to ride um thoroughbred racehorses i i rode wow. them when they were uh, they were they were in a rehab facilitation stage, and so they would come to us, and then I would get them back on the track, and you know we we did this. I was a crazy twenty four year old, and um, had a bad accident where I fell off the horse. The horse turned and spooked on something, but came back around. Literally ran me over. I mean, my jeans were ripped. I had hoof prints on my pelvic bone or pelvic area. Didn't break a bone unbelievably just just came out of it with a lot of bruises but in the years past i had two more children and i thought that it was just basically because i'm getting older or i was pregnant and now fast forward into my age now i definitely have these um uh it's really hard to explain it's almost like an ache Yes, a lot of mm. talk about that. Yeah. And so now yeah. I'm wondering, gosh, could it have been from all of those years ago that this just keeps sort of, you know, you adjust to it. And then there's times when it just and it's like, where is that coming from? Why? Yes. And I think one of the best ways to look at this, and this is where we really need to elevate pelvic health awareness. Um, if let's say, you know, this was obviously pelvic, this horse ran over yeah. your pelvis you had babies and, you know, we sit a lot. There's all kinds of things to pelvis. You would never have a situation where you fall off a horse and he runs over your knee and then you go and you injure your knee twice. And a doctor will tell you like, Oh, you need to do something about this. You need physical therapy. You need to manage this. This is what is missing in the world of pelvic health. You had these real things happen and you had not heard of pelvic health physical therapy till today. So these things accumulate on each other and really aren't treated orthopedically as they should be because it is, it's your pelvic girdle, it's your pelvic floor. These issues compound. What I think though, that is really cool about this conversation because we see a lot of patients, Jenny and myself who feel hopeless who have been through so much, their hearts are broken, nobody's helped them, they feel hopeless. Your story is also an example of how resilient the body is and how resilient the pelvic floor is too. So it's also a beautiful example of if you were my client, I would be telling you, I think we can resolve this quite easily. Yeah. So wow. it, it kind of, 
comes in circle that way. And that's what I think is so cool about what I do and the body and how it all works. It's fascinating. So fascinating. One of the things Holly was speaking to before is, you know, just to bring this back to sex, because mm-hmm. this is the Modern Pleasure Podcast, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, talk about it's, a, it's, a, it's a feedback loop, right? Just to, like, mm-hmm. synthesize it. it and it, whether it's it becomes a psychosomatic feedback loop, and people sometimes feel like I'm getting all – I get people when they're, like, fully um, resolved sometimes with their dilators. And we can talk about what those are, Kim, if you don't know. But, you know, the dilators, they feel like they can get – all the dilators in, they can get their fingers in, they can get their their tampons in. And we're speaking only about women. We will come to men because I do want to ask Holly about it. Oh, yeah. And by the way, I do know what a dilator is because oh, of right. our conversation with Dr. Batsheva, remember? That's right. Yes, that, yes, yes, yes. I was yes, enlightened. Right. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> um, Learn, I learned something every, every time yes. we talk. <laughs> um, but then they still have pain with intercourse because their brain is scared it will hurt. And they mm. contract, right? Because she, what she was saying about the pudendal nerve, right? It's like mm-hmm. the brain has so much power over that too in terms of like, I'm scared. I think the brain is so powerful with pain. It's becoming a mainstay in pelvic floor education, fortunately, and even doctoral education for PTs. But it gets even more complex than that when you think about it. And one of the things I want patients to walk out of that first visit knowing is there is not a pain track in our body. There is not a signal in your pelvic floor that says pain. There's no susceptive tracks. So you have experiences, whether they're emotional or psychosocial or physical like yours, Kim, and those experiences create a simply put, and I'm really dumbing this down, sorry, um, a communication system that talks to us. And then our spine sends those messages up and then our brain makes a decision. Is there pain? So sometimes, you know, working with Jenny, we will work out the physical and it's still problematic. And that makes perfect sense. And I will even try to educate patients even bigger about, you, you all know what homunculus is in the brain, right, Jenny? This is a medicine. Do it again. Homunculus. If you look it up on Google image, it cracks me up because it shows our somatosensory cortex like a little crown mm-hmm. on a brain that receives the information to decide what the signal is. You know, do you have pain? Does that feel good? What's going on? And I've had some brilliant teachers in this and I teach them about how that works. And this is why we need to treat the whole body and pelvic health. Um, we aren't just experts of the vagina or experts of how everything works together. And we'll have a lot of people where the brain gets so powerfully embedded in the situation where the vagina or the penis is what shows up. The genitals is right next to the foot and the brain will start to get confused as to what is what. So we'll even have people who get so centrally involved that they'll now have foot pain that's related and, and it can wow. go on from there, but it, it's very powerful. And that's where you come, you come into Jenny and help tremendously with those things. So I had a, I had a friend one time who told me of an experience, <clears throat> excuse me, that he had um, when he did a, he basically stayed silent for like a week. He didn't talk. It was one of those kind of retreats or, you know, something. A Vipassana retreat, like a silent Vipassana. Yeah, something like that. And what happened during this time, years, years and years and years ago, when he was a young boy, maybe in his early teens, he fell off of a, like a, like a grandstand, you know, like a, a, you know, bleachers kind of a thing and hurt himself pretty bad, hurt his back and all of that. And all of a sudden, all of this pain came back. All of that pain that he felt as a child 
ended up coming back and he realized that it was unresolved. And Mm -hmm. that what you're saying reminds me, you know, the brain kind of allows your your body to just accommodate, right, where you don't necessarily think there's a problem anymore. But then when you shut that down and it has to like go, oh, wait a minute, here's something that um, you forgot about. (laughs) Yes, it it does. It, It remembers. It knows what's going on. And some of the things we learn when we study chronic pain is we, we prioritize what's really important. So one of the best examples that was ever given to me was from a teacher. And he talked about how the brain's impact basically on pain, how it interacts with systems. And I know we're talking about pelvic, but he gave the example of if you're me walking across the street, you know, to go maybe to a store and I roll my ankle, is it going to hurt? And the answer is yes. I'm going to throw this total tantrum. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to, you know, have all this pain. If I have that same scenario and there's a bus coming at me, is my ankle going to hurt? No. And that's what our brains do. They decide what is more important. And sometimes when I treat women who have pain with sex and can't have sex, it, it becomes a really huge emotional and rightfully so centrally sensitized situation because say that woman really wants to have a baby but they are not that person's not able to have sex penetration is too painful that stress of it is going to like perpetuate the problem um and am i explaining this right or am i going on too much of a tangent no i think it's really interesting and um, i had another case once this was over a decade ago where you know, the problem in the relationship was more the relationship with which I'm sure you work with a lot, Jenny, mm-hmm. the husband and the wife. And the pain with sex went away and it basically exacerbated the fact that they were not a happy couple. So I think that the brain like was participating in maybe like masking that situation. So I feel like I'm starting to speak in circles, but it is so powerful. It is so a part of this. It should be a part of pelvic health treatment for men and women for multiple reasons. So yeah, you know, just to piggyback what you're saying, I always tell my clients, the body is brilliant, right? And it has its own agenda. Um, The body also keeps the score. We're going to bring in Bessel van der Kolk, right? Like um, the mind erases the score. The mind erases maybe the trauma, but the body stores it. Um, and so correct me if I'm wrong around this, but what I'll see is, you know, there's a guarding, right? If there's pain with intercourse for a particular partner, I, if, if it, certainly if it's the wrong partner, you know, the body will guard. Mm-hmm. But the body will even guard and not differentiate between safe husband and past perpetrators, for instance, if it's a trauma. And so it is sort of disentangling those pieces to train the brain and therefore the body, well, the brain knows, but training the body, this partner in front of me is safe. Um, But, you know, just the power of the brain, Holly, just again, I had, God, I don't even know if we shared her, but I had a client at the very beginning of my career, lots of pelvic pain, and we were working on it and she was doing her PT as well. And it kind of wasn't going anywhere. And then suddenly we started to talk about fertility and she wanted to have a baby. Yes. That pain went far away. Yes. You have to know where, like the bus, (laughs) my ankle or the bus, (laughs) Yes. my pain or, Oh, I want to have a baby. It's like something changed in her body. And and I think too, like you're talking about that client who the past trauma, her brain couldn't differentiate. I think in those situations, 
the the sex is the bus <laughs> like having sex is the ultimate threat and the pain yeah. is protective of that and i just really respect what you do jenny because getting to the bottom of that that is what helps bring the whole team together and create the cure because it's such an important piece of it I have a question. Um, in terms of therapy and length, I mean, for, you know, if you're going to go to physical therapy, and I'm sorry if I'm making too many comparisons between physical no. therapy and what you do, but if, you know, say I hurt my knee and I'm going to physical therapy and they say, yeah, well, you know, we have two months of physical therapy and then, you know, you should be fine. In your experience with treatment, I guess not one size fits all, but could, right. is it, I mean, is it sometimes as simple as an adjustment in terms of, you know, like Jenny was saying, they had these exercises that they do and that's it? Or is it pretty much a lifetime commitment to um, keeping this, you know, stable and having to continually practice this therapy? That is a really great question. And I think if you asked 100 PTs that you might get various answers. Um it really does depend. And some of the most complex cases I have on paper, I meet them. We go through education. I help them reconnect with the, the pelvic floor. We work out maybe something in the hip, which we did for you too, dry needling for Jenny. Did we do that for you? Mm-hmm. Um, you work out a little bit and it, it's amazing because you pull all those pieces together and they're so much better. And it's not a lifelong thing. And um, to prevent it from being a lifelong thing, you have the responsibility of building the team that the patient needs. If they need sex therapy, you need to refer them. If they need a physician's help, you need to refer them. You need to talk about all aspects. It, it can't be one of those things where you are just doing internal muscle work the whole time. You need to look at, do you have jaw pain? Do you have low back problems? Get to the heart of the matter and that will make it shorter. Um, I have had patients who have had a history of lichen sclerosis that activates on and off, um, who have had surgical procedures that did not go very well. And those are the ones that tend to prefer to have a maintenance situation. Like if they, if they start improving, they want to kind of touch base because there's a lot of fear around that. Um, I think the other thing that comes into this and, and it really does vary, but this is also, I'm such a Brene Brown fan. There's a lot oh, of yeah. guilt and shame that come into these pelvic pain problems and being sure that they have the right type of therapist to help with that. Um, It's such a commitment. And I really, I love this population, but we as females, we we don't get the support that we need um, even during pregnancy at times or after. And we are talking a lot right now about postpartum depression and we, we should have more awareness of these things. And it really just depends on how it's all coming together, how long somebody needs it. Our standard to give you a more direct answer, when somebody schedules a new appointment, we schedule six appointments once a week. That's it. My therapists and two are brilliant. They're ambitious. They go through the CSU practice mentoring program. Most of them utilize myofascial trigger point dry needling, mm-hmm. which has a powerful impact on pain. We have resources like Jenny's to work with. So our patients tend to see improvement very quickly. It's just, it's so complex. You sometimes don't know how long that's going to roll out if it will need the commitment. I, I would say that people leave therapy and maybe you can speak to a Jenny knowing so much more about mm. their pelvic floor, about what it does for them, that it does make a pretty profound impact. So it's, it's kind of just this new knowledge that works really positively for you. 
can these can these um, types of conditions? Uh, I think, and you may have mentioned this, and forgive me if I if I didn't hear it right, but can they also contribute to you know back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, and all of those other things that we just go to a chiropractor for? Yeah, I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> they absolutely <laughs> do. So you have pelvic girdle, you've got the pelvic floor, and it connects to the obturator internus, which is a hip muscle. So there's direct connections there. Um, I did a fellowship through the Great Institute. It was fantastic. They bring to light um, ground reaction force and how your foot needs to hit the ground to activate the rest of the body. And that's another element of it. If you think about low back pain, low back disc issues, radiculopathy, and how that impacts your ability to use your lower extremities and to maybe even if it's at a certain level sense what's going on, that can impact it. We just did a lab in Louisville today about male pelvic pain and it came up. Oh, I have a patient who has male pelvic pain and Parkinson's that can impact it. Um, so yes, it's all part of it. And I I've been doing this a long time. So on a visit, I really try to do a low back screen, a thoracic screen. I do a head to toe subjective and at least try to get perineum, which is the external aspect of the pelvic floor checked because the faster you can pull that whole body picture together, the faster you can set up a plan and work with somebody to improve it. It's, it's all related. And um, jaw clenching is related. People who have TMJD often stop really yeah, as well. Yeah, Gosh. It, <laughs> there's <laughs> like the, the light bulb yeah. just gets brighter and brighter over my head. Huh? <laughs> this is what is going on. Gosh. Holly, I love that you look look at the whole body. I just want to validate that. Yeah, like people will just take the part that has symptoms and go yes. for that. Mm-hmm. and be sort of, you know, microscopic about it versus, um, you know, more global. So do you, do you work with chiropractors on that on that level too, just like you would work with yeah. somebody? So there, there are a couple of chiropractors in Denver, I think are absolutely fantastic. And if I've got somebody and I feel like they can be more empowered and treatment can go much faster, pulling someone else onto a team to address those things, then absolutely. I refer them and we work together. And I think that's really fun. And I think that's how we all learn. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so interesting. Well, I just thought that this was going to go, you know, into a direction of very clinical, <laughs> but I love the fact that you're so passionate about this. I mean, both of you guys are so passionate about what it is that you do. But I really feel like anybody listening, whether your husband or your wife, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, this is really, really, really smart information. And um, I'm just so happy that we had this conversation. I really feel like this this episode is going to help a lot of people. Honestly, it's already helped me. I'm like, and you're in Denver? (laughs) Where are you? (laughs) I'm in California. I'm oh, there are great PTs in California. We can find you someone. Okay. That's a great question, Holly. Can you st- say to our listeners, is there a website if they're not in Denver to find your group? If they're all over, is there a particular website of like great certified, you know, PTs for public health? You know, there are there are a couple of sites all over the place and there's some disconnect in it just because there's so many different approaches in pelvic health, but Herman mm. and Wallace have a find a provider site and the women's health uh, or it's the pelvic health now, APTA have a find a provider site. But 
I also, you know, you get really compassionate about your profession and you know people. So I get a lot of people who will do yeah. like a virtual consult with me and then I will help find them somebody because oh, it's great to navigate all the information. It's hard. I'm so grateful that platforms on social media are bringing awareness, but the information is not always accurate. It's not always positive. So some of my patients just struggle. And so we always open that like a telehealth or even an email like, hey, do you know somebody here? But I have a great gynecologist. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to bring this up in our next um, appointment. And not that I should be, you know, surprised that she hasn't brought this up before, but I guess it's not really something that they would think about unless there was a specific need for it, right? Other than, no, everybody should be going to see somebody like this. I I think, too, what happens is you you get in your lane um, or practitioners get in their lane and I know that we are in a different environment. I know it's very busy. I know burnout is very high right now and it makes sense. But I think unless you've got someone going in there who's like, wait, I have this list of questions for you. All of a sudden it burns when I have intercourse. Um, I'm peeing every 30 minutes. My tailbone hurts sometimes. Typically, I think the experienced patients relate to me as they go in for their problem and that's what they get addressed for that day. So patients, um, I, I kind of have it on my next little mission. Like I think patients need to hear things about pelvic health so they can go and advocate for themselves. And I think our systems need to adapt a little bit if we can to allowing more time to talk about those things. Cause I can tell you, you're asking about males. We did a lab today with a patient in our clinic who's really special to us. He's, he's always willing to help. And he went through multiple providers talking directly about his pain problem and didn't get pelvic health PT until much later. Wow. The level of advocacy that needs to come from the person or a loved one is it's high. Would you agree with that, Jenny? Am I speaking to it properly? You know, I fully agree. I fully yeah. Agree. So yeah. it just, it's not a priority. Well, yeah. I'm Holly, gonna, can I ask a, a Oh, go ahead, Kim. I was, yeah. ju- I was just going to say, I'm going to say something. <laughs> So I'm going to say something to my gynecologist. (laughs) Oh, good. That's great. That's the impact that we want. So, yeah. 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 Holly, let me ask you this. What is a question that uh, no one really asks you, but you wish they would? As a client, as a patient or? Oh, both. What do you wish a patient would ask you, but doesn't? And then also from colleague to colleague, what are, what is a question? Well, let's start with that. The first one. Okay. Um, those are good questions. So the, the first one's the patient. Yeah. It would make my smile humongous if a patient would walk in and ask me what we are going to do as a team to get better. And that would just make me feel great because I think that's the way that you do it. And it's not that they aren't thinking that way. I think our medical system has trained us all. I do it. I do it. I had a weird dental visit the other day. I was like, oh my God, I did it. (laughs) But it's trained us that medical care comes at you. And Mm -hmm. it is, it's about collaboration. It's about that empowerment. So I wish patients would ask me that. Um, Like friend to friend, colleague to colleague. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking. As an expert, what do you wish other experts would ask you, but they don't? I have a roundabout here, and this goes into CCU practice and my love for teaching. And one of the biggest challenges in teaching is we live in a world of forced perfectionism, and people are scared 
to talk about what's not going right. And people have fear that they're going to be judged and that they um, made a big mistake. And I wish people would ask me how many times I mess up on a daily basis and learn something from it. So I could share that like just today I received this feedback because I would love if we could all as collaborating providers be aware of what we don't know instead of feel this tension to be the best and be the best one, you know, marketing themselves. I wish people would ask me to be vulnerable that way and share like, well, what patient do you wish you could go back and do entirely differently? Because I think it would eliminate some of the pressure that we know everything and hopefully reinforce the fact that you are becoming really brilliant when you know what you don't know. That's what I wish colleagues would ask me. That's amazing. Love that answer. So (laughs) humble, so vulnerable, so beautiful. Thank you. That question was a great question. (laughs) She always asks. She always asks a good question. She's always got a good one at the end like that, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pull it out. Well, this Pull has that out been. Of my pelvic floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much, Holly. Yeah, thank um, you. I I really enjoyed it, and uh, Jenny for bringing uh, Dr. Neer into our conversation, which was just perfect. I think for today. So. Um, thank you. And, you know, we may be bringing you back again at some point and dive in a little bit deeper because I have a feeling this conversation could go on for another hour at least. This was really fun. Thank you for having me and for all the really wonderful questions. You're welcome. And thank you, Dr. Jenny. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Modern Pleasure Podcast. <laughs>